You are now listening to the Socks and Sandals podcast. Peace and blessings, y'all. First things first, before we get into this episode, I got some great news to share with you, all right? You ready? Okay. Culturally relevant professional development exists. You understand what I'm saying? It exists because I created it. I created an eight-week cohort-based course called Know Your Enemy, The Evolution of Racism. Now, this isn't your run-of-the-mill diversity stuff, your watered-down, cookie-cutter, BS corporate stuff. Look, it's 2021. We are living in the age of Dante Wright. We are living in the age of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor. We are living in the age where we can no longer pussyfoot around the topic of racism and producing real justice and real change in these corporate environments. I'm talking about thorough, uninhibited, fundamental, foundational knowledge of what racism is and how it works. If you know your enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of 100 battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. And if you know neither yourself nor your enemy, you will succumb in every battle. We do not know our enemy. We try to solve problems about race, but we don't even know what racism is. We don't know when it started. We don't know how it evolved. We don't know the certain things that have happened in the past that are still tied directly to the, to the present day and what we're going through. This is not a coincidence. What we're facing in America it's not a coincidence. What we're facing in our workplaces, it's not a coincidence because we've ignored the problem and we don't have a thorough understanding. If this appeals to you, if this is something that you want to get enrolled in, email me, ypdevelopment2030 at gmail.com. I will see you May the 12th. Grace and peace. What up? I want to welcome you all back to the Socks and Sandals podcast, where society, culture, history, and religion collide, and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. It's your guy, Emmanuel. I'm back. I'm not in my house. I'm in the lovely abode of Mr. Randy Wyatt. Randy, say what's up to the people, bro. Hey, what's going on, man? Thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, you could tell he's known me for a very long time. He's calling me Randy. Oh, I didn't, I didn't even ask, bro. It's all good. Uh, it's all good. Man. You can do that. You can get away with that. Man. Moving forward, though. Moving forward, though. We going, you know, how you want me to? It's, it's Randall these days. Okay, man, you know, Randall. My bad. You my know, bad. My only bad. only because we're, we're doing a you know, podcast. <laughs> no doubt, man. But thanks for, uh, you know, coming through, allowing yeah. me to come in your house and record in your beautiful home here in the Albina District, man. Thank you, man. No man, doubt. Yeah, my pleasure. No doubt, bro. Um. Before we get into things, uh, just tell the folks a little bit about who you are. So your name, uh, where you're from, and just what's a typical day in the life of Mr. Randall Wyatt. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Randy Watson. <laughs> I used to always say that in high school. <laughs> yeah. Um, shoot, I'm, I'm Randall Wyatt, you know, Portland native. Mm-hmm. Uh, born and raised. Grew up in the, in the Franklin neighborhood until I was 11, then moved over to, to uh, 31st and Prescott. And, you know, and... and um, I'm a father of twins, became a father right out of high school when I was about 19 years old, um, raising those boys are teenagers now. Um, I'm a hip-hop artist, that's where my passion is, that's where a lot of my philanthropy work started, you know, using hip-hop as that tool to, to give back to the community in whatever ways I can with the emphasis on the youth. Um, been a mentor, 
student, you know, an advocate uh, for mental health um, and, and anything towards uh, race, racial justice. And what else? now I'm a now I'm an executive director and a founder of a reparations based organization called man. Taking Ownership PDX. Man. Boss, bro, yeah. boss, yeah. bro. It's it's amazing, man. It's one of the great things about this podcast is me being able to connect with folks that I went to school with. And it just blows my mind. Like we got a lot of dope folks that came out of Benson, you know. Mm-hmm. Just like our class. I don't, maybe I'm biased, but I feel like our class was just amazing, bro. That 2003 class. I was just talking to Rache Burns about that. Oh, where? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> shout she's, out to Rache. She's killing it. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Rache. Yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. You're right. Our class is doing some big things, man. Yeah, and even yeah. even beyond that, like um, you know, outside of Benson, I had. Hanif on here a couple years ago. Oh yeah, you know, and it's just like just to see what we're doing, just He's our generation. Barber, man. Yeah? yeah. Oh, yeah. that's what's well, up. Actually, Pianki did this. Oh, word. <laughs> yeah. That's dope, though. Yeah. But yeah, man. So I mean, we we go back to Benson days. Um, did, were you on the hoop? Were you on the hoop squad? No, I got cut, man. You got cut. Oh, my bad. My bad. That was <laughs> he, a, a sort. Yeah, yeah. See, he, he, tried, <laughs> he tried to cut deep. I'm off to a so bad hard. start. No, I got cut. Uh, I got cut my freshman and sophomore year. And then I transferred to Grant mm-hmm. and made the team my junior senior year because I grew like six inches and worked on my game. Why did so. I forget that part? You left? Yeah, I left. I left. And I graduated from Grant. Wow. Trader. <laughs> Trader Joe's. I no. couldn't hang with y'all, man. <laughs> yeah. Y'all were, uh, you know. I, that team was set. You know? That team was crazy. Though. Y'all were good. It was a good ass team. Right? That yeah. team was crazy. Our, our freshman year, we had like sixteen people on the team. I remember that. They didn't want to. You know, it was weird, but. Yeah. Yeah, I played freshman, sophomore year. Junior year, I sat out. Yeah, you had a big-ass fro. I did, I man. That. Yeah, bro, I was rocking that. Now I can barely keep my hairline together. <laughs> this is sprayed in, by I the way. So this, this is going to be gone by by tomorrow oh, morning. Yeah, yeah, man. So Mine's going to be man. I'm barely hanging on to it. <laughs> no doubt. So I'm man. keeping the ponytail as long as possible. No doubt. Yeah. At least you got something, bro. I feel like if I cut this off, I'm going to find a patch back here. <laughs> you might. You might be right about that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, man, I, I balled in you know freshman sophomore year. I played summer league going into senior year, but I was like, you know what? Because I was like playing football, right? And I was playing varsity junior year, and it I'm like, why would I go from being a starter to barely getting you know ten, twelve minutes a game? Right. I was like, nah, I'm gonna just sit this out. Conditioning maybe, but I mean, yeah, that free time. But, but I ran track too, so that was, oh, yeah, that was my conditioning. Yeah, yeah, nah, but. It's it's wild, man. Um, now you have two sons. Yep, they are sixteen years old. Yeah, they just turned sixteen. Have you noticed, like, sport for us playing basketball was everything. Mm-hmm. Like growing up in Portland in the nineties, as a young man, young black man, if you didn't play basketball, you kind of weren't anyone or anything. <laughs> or or some sport, but yeah, basketball. Right, but specific mainstream sport. Yeah. Mainstream sport. Yeah. Like people really, you know, that put that on the pedestal. Do you notice with your son's generation, is that the same as far as just playing sports in general? Is that a big deal socially, or does it not matter for them? Well, for my sons, my sons, are, are, I actually admire this about them. They don't really care what other people think like that. Yeah. They're going to do what they want to do. And, we've, you know, they've tried every sport. Like me, I stuck to just basketball mm-hmm. and really – Regret that I never tried other things. They mm. tried all these things and found what they liked. Yeah. And now they're sticking to what they like. And that's what matters to them. So they're yeah. not really worried about that. Yeah. I think today, you know, with all the access to information, I think kids have just a lot more to worry about than sports now. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. 
I don't know if that's you know if that's why it's not so much on a pedestal like it was before. Yeah. Um, at least in Portland or on my experiences with, you know, with the young people. But sure. my kids, man, yeah, I've actually been encouraging them not to do mainstream sports. Yeah. Because you have a better chance of getting you know scholarships. Because we know right now, my kids aren't going to get a scholarship in basketball or football. They never really got into those. But mm-hmm. they have a real good chance of getting a scholarship for a shot put. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Maybe even the 100. That's so that's where we're focusing. And, and, you know, I'm sure you could appreciate that. Not, no, and that's what I'm on, too. Like, yeah. you know, my son wants to play basketball. And now, as you know, you can't just go to Dishman or you just can't go to Peninsula. Like, you got to pay for these AAU programs. Mm-hmm. And, I'm t- and then I'm thinking to my wife and telling my son, like, I don't want you to just focus on basketball, basketball, basketball. That's one of the things that I regret growing up. Granted, like that was everything, and I, and I had a, a lot of fun playing sports. But I realized as much time as I poured into sports, if I really would have focused on everything else that I was interested in, then I would have been better off long term. Yeah. But I spent so much time that I can't get back going to the going to Irving Park and shooting 500 jump shots a day yep. to never get a scholarship or even I didn't even pursue basketball granted it was fun but I'm like there's so many things so like you said with the internet information yeah. age there's so many things that our kids are that have that, that, that they have access to yeah where it's like you don't got to focus on just athletics yep they're tapped into so much and and I think also like identity too I don't know for for you but me as a biracial black man like I gravitated th- towards things that were considered black to mm. to make sure that I got that black acceptance. So mm-hmm. basketball was that, and I only focused on that. I didn't try. You know, who knows if I would have been nice at water polo? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> who knows? You might have been the dopest tall, one out there. I was tall. I was, I was, you know, I was, you know, lean, and mm-hmm. I swam pretty well. But Word. I didn't give it a shot because yeah. I cared what people thought. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so I love that about my son. So they don't, yeah. they don't give a damn. Yeah, this this new generation is special. Yeah. But speaking about your sons, we might as well get into it before we get into the meat of the conversation. Um, rest in peace, Dante Wright, twenty year old father of one, um, of 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 a one year old. His only son uh, will never grow up to know his father intimately because a police officer supposedly mistake she mistaked her gun for a taser or her taser for a gun, whatever. Yeah. But shot that man. In the chest for a traffic stop, bro. For for having a uh, air freshener hanging. Air freshener hanging yeah. in yeah. the rear view yeah. window. I guess he was on the phone with his mom at the time too. Oh man, Talking I didn't I didn't know that. Fearful of the cops. I mean, that's that has to be noted that. Yeah. In this traffic stop, he is fearing. Mm-hmm. For, you know who who we're supposed to protect and serve. Yeah. You know before before even anything goes down. Yeah. So, you know. It's, it's yeah. Have you had a, a sad have you had a discussion with your sons about that in particular? So many, so many. Okay, I don't even let my kids walk around in stores or anything with their hood on. Like my sons, one of my sons in particular loves to just have a hood like halfway on. Yeah, all the time. It's just natural. It's I love good. to have a hood halfway on. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's natural, especially in the winter, right? It's to keep your ears for sure warm mm-hmm. and everything, and it's just his style. Like that just feels right to him. Mm-hmm. But I have to tell him, like, hey, son. Take your hood, you know, and he's the sweetest. My kids are wouldn't have heard a fly. Yeah, you know, sweet kids. They look grown. You look at them; they look pretty grown. You can see they're young, but when you talk to them, you can see they're really young. Yeah, and that's what scares me about navigating this world because if you don't have a conversation, you just roll up on my kids. And my kids have been rolled up on by the cops and accused of actually grand theft auto, wow, or uh, stealing a car. And 
it wasn't until they started speaking to the cops that the cops were like, oh, maybe not. Y'all seem really young. But, yeah, I have this conversation nonstop with my kids, you know, all the time. We discuss this stuff a lot. Especially because I'm unschooling them. They're not in traditional school right now. Me and their mom come up with their curriculum for the most part. Yeah, so a lot of it is around black history and navigating this country. Yeah. Yeah. That's real, bro. That's dope. So that's that's amazing that you say that because I was considering doing that for my son before COVID. Uh, we had already decided after fifth grade that he wasn't going to go to traditional middle school and I was going to homeschool him. Um, but then, like, as we were looking at our options, we did enroll him in. Have you heard of Connections Academy? Okay. So it's like a public online school. So they just give you all the curriculum. Everything is there in a website. Um, and then you can just do everything there and has all the, but so they, they do come up with the curriculum, um, you know, to make sure he's hitting all the state regulated, all of that type of stuff. Um, but then again, so my, my plan was pre COVID to have him do that. And, but like we do school, anywhere in a coffee shop downtown and like you know we're doing more things like outside instead of just being in the house in one spot unfortunately COVID shut that down but the idea of getting away from that traditional model is everything is everything yeah man I mean they haven't really switched the curriculum up since the industrial revolution you know and it's definitely not um it's definitely not equity based you know it's definitely not culturally uh diverse based you know we got one month still dedicated to the black people uh when so many non-whites are literally the foundation of this country you know but yeah it's tough though too because with with how we're doing it they're not getting those credits but you know at this point with the social climate changing so much me and their mom are just like and my son's also having some some disability or some learning uh, disabilities, anyways. You know, we were just like, whatever. You know, we're gonna we're gonna do things our way, anyway. So, but you building strong men though, exactly. Personable men. Yep. You know, uh, they got a lot of qualities that are gonna get them a lot further than uh, GPAs. Exactly. You know, and yeah. credits. So. That's real. That's dope, man. Yeah. That's dope. Well, shoot, man. Let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about taking ownership, PDX. Now, when I was doing my little research, I mean, I've, I've seen it kind of grow and and rise up into what it is now which is amazing what you've done in the past year but even before that it's just been it's been crazy to see your growth but i i was reading and i love what you said as far as like the organization the mission of the organization so a mission to renovate and um, black owned homes that request help with an emphasis on enabling black homeowners to age in place generate wealth and simultaneously deter predatory investors and realtors to deflect the gentrification process bro that is a mouthful that is necessary and because it's so necessary i believe that's why it's been widely successful tell me how long you've had this idea and like was there something in particular that like spurred you into action to start working on this idea so I've had this idea to have a platform for reparations for black people, um, like an app. I was thinking like maybe an app where people can who who believe in this reparations for for black or for descendants of slaves in, mm-hmm. in particular, um, you know, for a while, for, and so they can so they can send money in and we can allocate it, mm-hmm. uh, sort of like what Black Resilience Fund is doing with my man Cameron Winton. Yeah. Um, the idea to fix homes 
was more like uh, probably last around this time last year and uh, it was through my studies at PSU I was just kind of reading up about just the racist real real estate practices you know of of particularly Oregon and and Portland but nationwide you know what I'm saying Mm -hmm. so and then how important that is to building generational wealth and you know just you know growing up here seeing how uh, viciously we've been displaced man like we're in a black a historically black neighborhood there's maybe two three of us here right so that I see that I've seen so man just seeing that I was just like how do we what's the way that we can like sustain who has been able to hold on to their homes you know Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not like I'm just focusing on this area I'm also out in like Clackamas if they're out in Clackamas or Hillsboro we'll go out there help out too but yeah and that's that's what spurred it into action was actually seeing white people being willing to listen mm-hmm. and and want to invest and want to, you know, engage. Um, I think it was a perfect storm of, of the pandemic with the, the uh, murder of George Floyd really gave them the time to sit down and realize, like, damn, there's re- like this is a serious plight yeah. that black people are going through. They're really treated this way. So with so many of them reaching out to me and being like, how do I support? Mm-hmm. I said, share your, share your wealth, share right. your resources. Oh, yeah. You know, you've benefited greatly from exclusionary practices, mm-hmm. from, from, you know, uh, oppression from just white privilege. So yeah. for, if you really believe in equity, you got to give it up. You got to show gotta equity. Share. You can't just talk yeah, equity. You, can't talk it, you, gotta you got to do it. You really got to do it. I literally had a conversation. It was, it's like two years ago, uh, with a woman and she was living in my old neighborhood off of 15th. Um, right off Alberta, mm. and she had moved in the house. Oh, we lived close to each other. Huh? Yeah. So, where, where did you grow up? Thirty first and Prescott. Oh yeah, right yeah. down the street yeah. for sure, for sure. So, um, and she was saying, she's a white woman. She was from like New York. She was like, I I feel so bad. You know, I I'm starting to learn about the history, of what's going on here, and that this was a black neighborhood, and a lot of uh, black families have been pushed out. I just I just feel so bad. I, I mean. I've, I've joined committees and, you know, I'm trying to help with political reform. But what else do you think we can do? And I said, if you really felt bad, then you would leave. <laughs> and when you leave, you would ensure that a black family is able to come back to this neighborhood. If you're not going to do that, if you're not going to leave and or if you're not going to help actively, if you actively do it, don't try to say, oh, let's change legislation. That would be great. But that's a longer process, and you have more control over what you do. Exactly. So if you don't take action, the government is not going to do it. Right. At least in any form of formidable time time slot. And, and also. you're holding up that reform process, anyways, <laughs> by perpetuating the process of gentrification. Anyway, right. Like you, so you're asking for reform, but you're buying up the property. You know. Yeah. So it's like. You're you're almost you're doing the exact opposite right. of what you're like shooting for. So you actually have to take action. Yeah. And I'm glad you you know, and that's why I give a huge shout out to Annie Moss. Uh, she's the one that sold me this house for what's left for on sure. the mortgage. Mm-hmm. She made sure that you know that that you know. Tell the folks the whole story, bro. You you live yeah. in this beautiful house yeah. in historic Albina, Portland, mm-hmm. which is the, you know the the oldest. Most vibrant black neighborhood, historic black black neighborhood in Portland. Due to redlining, yeah. Due to redlining, um, I literally just did an episode with went to Johannes she and uh, Kiyin Talton Davis over the um, Albina Vision Trust. You know they're part of that organization that's looking to revitalize this area. Yeah, I love and that. so 
you are here. I'm here now. You are here. You are a millennial that was able to purchase a home in this neighborhood, which is hard to come by. Crazy. Tell us about that whole process, how that came about, when it happened, the value of it, the the significance of you living in this house. So, you know, with taking taking ownership was getting a lot of, or it still is, but, you know, last summer when it was fresh and new, it was getting tons of publicity on the news. I was doing all kinds of interviews and stuff. And so... Um, I was getting reached out a lot, and people just wanted to know ways to to, to help. And this woman, Annie Moss, who um, who I want to give you know give a shout out to her her business. She owns Handsome Pizza and uh, Handsome Pizza and um, a bakery. But yeah, she reached out to me, and she um, was like, "I want to sell my home to a family of color for what's left on the mortgage. I don't want to make any profit off of it." Mm. And I ignored the first email, bro. Wow, I really did. I Why like, you shut it down? I was like, she's bullshit. Too good no to be way. true. Yeah, huh? I was like, no way, no way. And I was busy, you know. And I was like, there's no way. She reached out again, like a week later, and was like, hey, I'm serious. Like, I really want to do this. And I was like, sitting there in my apartment, you know, mm-hmm. renting with my cramped apartment with my sons. I was like, shit. Well, I'm gonna take this. You know, I'm gonna take this opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it's kind of you know it's kind of ironic being a renter helping homeowners, which that wasn't anything you know it wasn't like it doesn't matter to me, but I was just like shit, that's this could be like my chance. Um, yeah, man. So from there, like we we started the process, um, and uh, she followed through with everything. It was I thought I didn't even know if it was uh, something we'd be capable of doing for like maybe tax purposes or something. No, you, you can do it. Yeah. Everybody out there, you can do this. Mm. Um, she's not putting herself out either. She owns another home and she, you know, she's successful, but, um, yeah. So I bought this house for, for like $500,000 under the market. Woo! Yeah. That's a yeah. blessing. And, Big uh, blessing. Just life changing, man. Like for me and my sons, this literally was a, a huge life goal of mine mm-hmm. that materialized. The beautiful thing about this is like what I know about you, you're a genuine person. You really do the right things for the right reasons. Like you, I haven't seen you have any type of ulterior motive or like I'm really doing this, but this is what I really nah. Like you're literally doing this for the right reasons. And then it just so happens that you end up getting blessed with something that you kind of wanted, but you weren't looking for it. But it came your way by way of you doing the exact same thing. For other people, it's beautiful man, how the I'm, universe works, bro. I know, man, one hundred percent, man. And I'm so glad my kids got to see that. You know man, what I'm saying? Yeah. But um, funny thing is, in 2018, I went through the Portland Housing Center's uh, first time home buyer program. Oh man, how so how did that? I dropped out of it. It wasn't working. It wasn't gonna work, man. Tell me. So those those programs, when people call them out for their lack of efficacy, they always make it seem like it wasn't their fault or the you know the the applicant really wasn't following through, and if they just would have done X, Y, and Z, then we wouldn't have been, would have been able to help them. What happened with your process, and how much of it was, yo, I just didn't have the time, or they made it so damn hard that I couldn't? It was impossible. You know, I, it was. I, I don't know if I was in it long enough to to get you know to feel some type of way in that in that regard. But mm-hmm. for me, what it came down to was I'm single. I was single at the time, and I mean, I still. And my single income when it comes to paying all my bills and stuff. But mm-hmm. I was single. It's a match program. You put a certain amount of money in, they match it. And but but the reality was that this program, with the money I would have came out with, in the end with their match, 
I wouldn't have been on Ford nothing. There's nothing because Portland is too it's expensive. Portland's too expensive. Yeah, I would have had to get some scraper or something. You know, like something mm-hmm. that I'd have to put more money into it than what I than what I owe on it. You know, like or you know. So it just got to a point where, and then I, you know, I did my research and I was just thinking, you know, renting's not, renting's not a, bad either. You know, like and I kind of kind of had a new vision for my life in the future where I was just gonna. You know, um, get an RV and, and live out of that, stack up, yeah. travel around, rap, you yeah. know, do stuff, you know, just live a little. Uh, not, not to say not that that's ruled out, right? It's not ruled out. Yeah. It's not ruled out, bro. <laughs> Honestly, this might have made it even more of a realistic exactly. uh, uh, opportunity. You got but home base now. We'll see, though. I'm getting tired and traveling is not always my favorite thing. But, where? you know, but uh, yeah, so um, where was I going with this? My bad. Um, you were saying the the match program and how oh, it just yeah, wasn't. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, just just didn't work like with the amount of money. But I did, you know, I went through one of their eight hour classes, which is just that's crazy. Eight, eight hours. Hours. I, that that's one thing I didn't appreciate. They should definitely spread that out. That's a long time for a person to to be sitting through, and Ooh. the amount of information on home buying, like home buying, is complex. There's no way I'm taking in all that. I mean, in eight hours, you're definitely going to check out. Your brain can only retain probably ten percent of what yeah, you heard. It should be increments of two hours or something right. like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it just didn't didn't work for me though. It's a pretty uh, inefficient yeah. process. And I've heard things that, you know about about some of these uh, about some of these programs that they work with lenders that aren't the greatest either. Yeah. You know so yeah. So. Well, you know, it worked out for you in a different way. Yeah. A different yeah. route, and it worked out in, in a better situation. Tell me about the impact that you've been able to make, the families that you've been able to help, some of the things that you all have been accomplishing through taking ownership. Oh, man. This is the most rewarding work I've ever done in my life, man. People say stuff to me like, you're an angel. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Because, I mean, it is pretty wild. I, I couldn't imagine you know, struggling to keep up with, with maintaining my home, maintenance on my home. Mm-hmm. And... Somebody comes in, an organization, and that's and I got to give love to the community because the community showed up to even make this possible. Mm-hmm. Comes in and takes care of a big project like replacing the roof or putting in new windows, making things more energy efficient. You know, um, just helping out. You know, uh, and, and with no ask in return. There's not. I don't want anything in return. Like I always tell these homeowners, you deserve this. Yeah. You have literally had. Um, the, the odds stacked against you just because of the way you look for your entire life. So the fact that, you know, you, you deserve this uh, break, a little bit of financial relief. Mm-hmm. And um, we've been able to help about 25 uh, families, uh, business owners, homeowners, uh, various projects from roofs and window replacements to landscaping, fixing leaks, re- redoing floors. You know, I helped, um, you know, the Coke and Market. Mm-hmm. It's actually called... Uh, Black Rose Market now. Okay. My my boy actually bought it. Um, so it's black owned. You know, we redid their floor so they can open up faster. Try to get in business. We helped out Union Burger. Yeah. You know, to yeah. help them stay in business. And Shout out to John. Yeah, that's yeah. my guy. I grew up with him. Um, so yeah, man, it's, it's the most impactful work I've ever been able to do. It's it's really incredible. I was working at Portland Youth Builder uh, Youth Builders last year, and um, the population at Portland Youth Portland Youth Builders was just getting it's getting really white. Okay. So, so I was working with a lot of white students. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're marginalized too, lower income, you know, LGBTQ and stuff like that. So that's fine. But I thought where I needed to be was in the black community. So I told my supervisor, I was like, look, 
I'm going to leave in a couple months to get back to working with the black population because I used to work for PYC too. Okay. And um, I had no plan. No, I haven't even put in any application, nothing. Yeah. One week later, taking ownership takes off. Wow. Yeah. So I'm telling you, when we talk about the universe, man. That's crazy. Manifestation. So you were, so when did you establish it? I established it. So my first, worked on the first house in, in mid-June. But we didn't establish ourselves as a LLC until July 9th. So the, so that first project, how did that go? How did, you know, how did you get everything together? And what did you do for the house? Yeah, so first project was a woman who actually is a big fan of my band. Came to a bunch of shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, saw me posting about doing this work. So she reached out and was like, you know, I've recently been on disability. I can't keep up with some of the... She had a multi-unit. She had a two-unit. And then the other unit, she wanted her daughter to move in. Needed a bunch of work for it to be, you know, even livable. Um so we, me and my boy Zach Mills, you know Zach Mills? He went to Benson. Uh, I probably know him when yeah. I see him. Yeah, you you probably know him. Um, mm-hmm. He's two years older than us though. Okay. He he's a contractor, and so we went out there, took a look at everything, wrote it down. Um, I posted it on Facebook, like what it all needed: carpet, you know, windows, paint, painting, all that. Yeah. And that's when the money started coming in. People were like, look, I don't know where to find this stuff, but I'm going to go buy it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so they started sending it to my Venmo. By the end of the week, I have like 10 grand. And so, yeah, we just started going at it. And we, uh, you know, we replaced windows, screens. We replaced door frames, um, do a whole interior paint job, mm-hmm. uh, replace the carpets, get her a new fridge. And... Um, I think that's about what we've done. Oh, and fix some gutters. Right. Yeah, that's what we did. So with that being the first house, and the mission was more like, okay, we'll go in and and do as much work at this house as we can. I, would, I didn't know I was going to have 100 houses you know, by, by six months in. Yeah. So it was on that one, yeah, we did a lot more work than maybe we can do now. Mm-hmm. Now we focus on like weather, weatherization and life safety issues. Mm-hmm. So we're like doing anything that will keep a house dry. Uh, warm and safe you know, for sure so, yeah that's dope and that's it's dope. all based on how much money we can raise that's dope and I like how the focus is helping folks age in place the older black community that that you know they just get their houses bought up or people make those offers like you said the, the predatory things that go on was that something from um, you seeing a family member go through that or you know what what made you focus on that because that's it's very relevant even though, but it's not talked about widely. And so what made you focus on like, yo, I'm going to attack this issue right here, helping people age in place. Well, a lot of it was just based off my experience of seeing the black community just like dissipate, you know, like I just noticed growing up in Portland and being in Portland, how much neighborhoods changed. And it's like, where have they gone? So obviously they're losing their homes. Mm -hmm. And then my studies came to play as I learned more about the process and how it's been going down and, uh, just like the actual statistics of and all that so that's what put that really in my mind was you know that that's a real issue they're they're losing their homes so yeah grandma selling the house yeah you know, I know my parents sold their house they was just like uh, I'm out of here those arm loans in like those those adjustable rate that too mortgages were brutal on the black community for man. sure yeah. you know uh, constantly going up mm-hmm. they were giving them out to anybody mm-hmm. no matter what your what your income was yeah um, 
Yeah, and I heard, you know, when I posted about it on Facebook, I got a lot of people sharing stories. Like, my grandma just lost her home. Some people lost their homes over, like, $500, you know. Um, yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's sad. So I was just like, so advocacy is a big part of this. That's what I love about taking ownership is that it's raising this awareness. Mm-hmm. It's um, putting me in touch with people who can create policies, who... Um, you know, I, I meet with the city pretty often. Really? Yeah. So like, uh, BDS and and uh, some of those those departments that work in that and you know with like putting liens and fi- you know finding people, they've, we've been able to re- uh, reverse some of those liens and stuff like that. So they actually want to meet and talk about their impact on the black community, and so that wow. that helps a lot too. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, with, without disclosing too much I mean are they fully aware of what they're doing or is it just like it's kind of an automated system and it just happens to be that we're the ones getting hit and just it seems like it's indiscriminately but like how you know well you know that's that's kind of the American way like I don't know if you've heard of the draining the pool philosophy or, or the I've heard that term yeah so but and that pretty much relates to gentrification. Yeah, it does. Um, it, re- it relates to any kind of government assistant policy too. Okay. So you know, um, when when public stopped being white, when the government when the government started supporting desegregation, mm-hmm. and public started becoming multicultural, mm-hmm. um, you know, basically white people started voting against government assistance, even though it's against their interest, right? Yeah. They started voting against things that are in their best in their best interest. Mm-hmm. So um, the city, yeah, I think they know that what they do hurts a lot of people. It even hurts the white community. Mm-hmm. But the most vulnerable populations are going to be the ones that get hurt the most. Yeah. And historically, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's really what the mindset is now for politicians. Is like. Hey, we're gonna put all these policies, and we're gonna get white people to to support us by blaming non-white people or the zero-sum mentality, which is like if these other groups gain, you're gonna lose. And that's the mentality white people have. Mm-hmm. Black people don't have that mentality. Mm-hmm. We don't think if we're gonna gain, we have to take from other people to gain. There's enough resources out there for everybody, right? So that's that's basically the the narrative, man. And so. Yeah, so they keep putting in these policies, and the city implements them. Yeah, and yeah, that's it's just disproportionately impacted black and brown people. And I mean, they're they're showing care, and we're talking and stuff, but they have so many regulations and things like you know that it's just that's that's why I started taking ownership so guerrilla style. Mm-hmm. I've sat on so many committees, I've been a part of so many groups, so much red tape where you can't get shit done. You just talk, you just talk and talk, and that's. Kind of my complaint with the city is like I, we meet and we talk. They're trying to do things. They just came up with a grant to try to help with supplies and things like that. But like they're not doing the big, the big changes that we really need to see that we <laughs> expected Biden to come in and do. Right? <laughs> I mean, I didn't expect it. No, I didn't either. Everybody, you know, a lot I didn't of even did. vote. For full disclosure, I didn't even vote. <laughs> At least for president, I didn't. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Local level. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's funny that you mentioned the city. So, should I should I share this with the family? I might as well. So, 
I got invited to sit on this round, like this table, community table of rebranding Portland. Like, how do we rebrand Portland? And um, because basically they're saying, you know, Portland used to be the number three city in America, top destinations. And now we're number 66. And so what And they want to have a diverse group of people to have these meetings every week for an hour on Tuesdays, whatever. And it's like, what can we do to help attract diversity? What can we do to make sure that businesses are safe? What can we do to make sure that we rebrand the city? Because we got a lot of negative press over the summer because of the, you know, protests downtown, what Trump had to say about us in the uh, in his debate and all of that. And it's like, are we? I said, do y'all really not know why Portland has taken a hit? I said, this is who Portland is. I think that's what it comes down to. I said, Portland has put this. We've projected this image to America. We've we've lied to ourselves. Not maybe us, but like you know the folks that really think that Portland is whatever. Yeah, yeah. They've lied to. Oh, we're so diverse. We're so inclusive. We're so this. We're so that. And we're so great. And everybody should want to live here. But it's like when it really comes down to it, and real shit starts happening in the world, you start to see what's really happening in every city. Yeah. And Portland is acting out what they really like. This is who we are. Yeah. But. It's um, but then they have these committees. What can we do? What do you guys think we should do? You don't know the problem, right? You don't know what you need to do. You need to clean up downtown. Unfortunately, there's a homeless problem. There's trash everywhere. You you refuse to to clean up. You need to create an environment or like actually all the racial issues that are going on in Portland. You actually have to solve it. Like work on it. Work at it. Devote time and energy and money and you have people doing certain things independently nonprofit wise but why do the people why do the people recognize what needs to be done and people are giving you money hand over fist but the government seems to be blind to that why why is that but y'all need to have conversations about it and you know what that is they're lining their pockets with that tax money but <laughs> <laughs> they're not really trying to do real work like outside the box work you got to think outside the box like you can't keep doing the same stuff because it's rooted in white supremacy and it's rooted to only benefit a very small percentage of people. If mm-hmm. you want to really change things, and also what's the question is who are you branding for? Like who who do you want to bring here? Because when you say stuff like Trump shitting on us or whatever, well, only to a certain population did did because what we were doing, I agree with. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm not mad at the at the protests and what mm-hmm. they were about. And stuff getting burned and stuff like that. I mean, the Ku Klux Klan was burning shit all the time, right. you know. So mm-hmm. you can't can't knock us for wanting to be treated like humans and, and, and equal and getting right. mad. Mm-hmm. So um, if that's turning away people, I mean, so be it, man. I don't know. Um, but they're maybe, not talking about people. They're talking about businesses. Oh, okay. They're worried about corporations leaving the city. Uh, that's yeah. when they say people. Like you said, it is a very small group of people that they're talking about, and they were like, "We're losing corporations." Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> and so when and so late so but they they come I to us economically, sure. Yeah, but uh, but there are there are companies that are still coming here anyway. Yeah, I know. And if corporations are leaving because of that, man, mm-hmm. I don't know. 
I don't know if I really want to fuck with them anyways. You know, right. like that's kind of the mindset I'm at right now. Yeah. So I don't know if the city really wants to do something, but it's funny. Like we are the least diverse city, <laughs> and that's the big problem with um, with white folks trying to be progressive here. Mm-hmm. Is like they'll throw a sign up in their yard after they already bought a home from a you know they came up on a right. home. You know. Mm-hmm. But they don't really have to challenge their racist views because they don't have to interact with non-white people very often. Yeah. You don't have to interact with black people that often. You can go throughout your day in Portland mm-hmm. and never talk to a black person all day if you really wanted to as a white person. So, I mean, that's the thing about Portland is like, I think that we have the proper intention and the right mindset to do progressive things. And I like that. And I really love how we showed up for the protests. But that has to be noted and talked about. White people have to understand that... It's gonna take like real radical efforts, like Annie Moss, what she did. You know? Yeah, you know, it's gonna this take is it. You investing in what's left of the black community, sharing your money. You're really gonna have to like do major stuff. It's not gonna be your just sitting there talking and um, policy reform. Policy politics just aren't doing it, man. It's ground level. Yeah, like you said, it's individual level. What can you do? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So yeah, that's real. Yeah. Well, once again, man, not to take away from the beautiful message that we're talking about, man, what you're doing, what you are doing, actively doing, man, changing lives. That's that's beautiful, bro. And so, you know, much, much blessings and future success to you. I know it's going to go nothing but up from here, bro, because thank you. Yeah. yeah. And it's changing my life, too, man. I I always have to tell people I'm it's it's been incredible for me as well. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, man, it's, it's awesome to be my own boss. Just that alone, man. Like create your own you, schedule. Create my own schedule. Work with who you want to work yeah, with. Do things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, another thing, um, you know, my uh, Gary Gary Jones. Mm-hmm. He's doing his electrical work. You yeah. know, another Benson alumni class of 03. He's doing his thing. Um, who else? Nick Olson. He's mm-hmm. doing uh, plumbing. So I don't know if you have collaborated with them or. But I Nick know Olson's a plumber. He's in sales. He's in oh, sales, okay. so he can he can get you parts. Okay, he can like That's donate parts. So I mean, we got we got so many people. He's living here now. I thought yeah, he was he, in San he, Diego. Oh. Nah, he's been here for oh, for a okay. while. Yeah, I just seen him at the gym the other day. But he he even says like, "Hey man, I know Randy is doing this thing." I was like, "Yeah, bro, I'm about to talk to him next week." He's like, "Oh, bro, tell him to holler at me." So I'll yeah. make sure he's still big him. as hell. Bullying yes. stuff. He's, he's not bullying. He's gonna be a bully. Yo, that's too funny, bro. He was a bully in he high was school. Nice, he was like a nice bully. He's a like, nice bully. He'd be like cool with you, but he'd also like slap you for no reason. But Nick, so it's, it's funny. I'm going to tell this story. Uh, hopefully he never hears this so I don't get bullied in the gym. So Nick was the biggest bully on the football team because he's the biggest dude, right? And so, but me and Nick have always been cool. We always had a mutual understanding, but he would still be like, hey, what's up, man? And just try to push you into the locker or something. Yeah. So, i never forget it, though. It was, like, two practices where, like, I proved myself to Nick, and he never attempted to physically bully me ever again. So, we were were doing special teams practice. It was, like, punt return. Mm. And... I was running down the field, and it was like, I felt like there was nobody else around me. And I just seen Nick Olsen running full speed at me. Bro, I'm scared out of my mind. I think I was like sophomore, junior year. Bro, I was so scared. And I ran, and I was just like, all right, we're doing this. I got closer, and I act like I was about to hit him up high, and I just ducked, hit him in his hip, flipped him. 
Damn, flip Nick Olson. That's wild, bro. <laughs> I, w- I didn't even know it was gonna happen. I had I literally lowered my shoulder, closed my eyes, and hoped for the best, bro. <laughs> so I got lucky by flipping Nick Olson in practice. Man, so that yeah. was one, and then and it, it happened again like a couple weeks later. Came up and I was like, man, this nigga want to kill me, fool. And I ran up and then I just like gave him a shoulder and knocked him off balance, Damn. and I didn't fall. And he was from that. We never talked about it. I've never mentioned this to Nick. If you hear this, bro, when we in the gym, do not swing on me. But look, but he never physically bullied me again after I showed him, like, yo, I'm, I'm about that life, too. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, man. But yeah, I uh, you got a new respect, bro. That's for sure. what you got to do. Yeah, but Nick, man, that's that's my guy, though. He just, I don't know. I, I just transferred schools. So <laughs> Nick drove me <laughs> no, away from no, this. No, bro. <laughs> no, like I said, he was actually really nice. Man, nah. But he just, you know, like you said, he Salt just the earth. push you or yeah. bear hug you or something. Like, yeah. come on, man. Yeah, and he knows what he'd be doing too. And his older brother uh, played a significant role in my like my music career. Word. Yeah. Let's let's talk about that, bro. So yeah. you just dropped the album, I sixteen. Did. Tell yeah. everybody about the concept. Uh, so the the concept, man. To be honest, like musically, it's a it's just like a um, a compilation of songs I've done over the last five years mm-hmm. that I just felt like I need to get this out. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the music is about you know it shows a lot of my growth over the last five years. Uh, you know, on so many different aspects as a father, um, in relationships, uh, you know, social in my social lens and what how I see the world and stuff like that. So it's not as cohesive as I plan to do with my next project, where I'll actually sit down and have a cohesive thing. But I, I want it was good. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's, the sound I, is is quality, bro. I like how your production is just like not it's not mainstream whatsoever. It's kind of old school, but it has a good mix of old and new sounds. Yeah. So I mean, to cut you off, but no, no, no. Yeah. no I appreciate the feedback for man. sure. Definitely, I, I think um, I'm constantly just trying to find a different kind of sound. I like to challenge myself over different beats, and but mm-hmm. I also at the same time got a sound that I like. You know, I'm really into that boom bap, yeah. early '90s. So I know you appreciate that. For I sure. remember us talking about that in high school. A lot of that stuff, man. But uh, how did those conversations go? Oh, you know. Talk about the a lot of times you were challenging my hip hop knowledge. You know I probably well, yeah, I was about to say yeah, if yeah. we was talking about music in high school, I, I thought I knew it all. Bro. Yeah, you did. So I'm yeah. sure I had some wild <laughs> takes, bro. Yeah, and I wasn't, you know, I was still like I was coming off my my Bay Area gangster rap phase, uh-huh. and then just getting like Tulip Kweli and all that. Where I was getting into all that, and then yeah. I was going back on like Tribe and Dayla and all that stuff, but but I didn't know a whole lot yet. So you actually did know quite a bit, and I took you know it actually pushed me to. Learn more. Oh, that's what's up. Um, not just you, but you know, just just in general, because I love. Like, I was like, that's when I was like, damn, I can, I don't have to rap about fucking hoes and shooting gun. I can mm-hmm. I can rap about like deep intellectual stuff. Um, and I like all of it. I'm not trying to knock it, no doubt know, any of it, but you know. Um, but yeah, so 16, the concept like the cover is me and my sons, and it's a uh, the sunset. Uh, over off of Tabor, right over the reservoir. Oh, that's where that was at. Yeah, look familiar. And I did that kind of cover because um, one of my favorite hip hop artists, Double K, People Under the Stairs, passed away this year, mm. and actually hit me really hard because like their music is like some some of my favorite music, mm-hmm. and they have a cover just like that. Mm. So I just wanted to pay homage that way. That's dope. Sixteen is obviously for multiple reasons. My son, I put it out on my son's sixteenth birthday, April sixth. I started my like taking my music career seriously 16 years ago. I, that's when I first started playing shows and, mm-hmm. and really like trying to hone my sound. Yeah. Um, and 
16 tracks yeah and, you know so yeah yeah that's kind of that's kind of idea no doubt yeah. no it's, it's a solid project man i was glad to to be able to support not support but like buy it and enjoy it you know what i mean so that's gonna be in my rotation yeah that means a lot man because i know you're a hip-hop head so yeah no doubt no yeah. doubt man you um when hanif dropped his joint um the seven tracks i forgot what the is it no clout no clout yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I got that too i'm just like and I've always been on that tip, as you know how much I love music. Like I've always want, I, I want to buy albums. Like I hated how Apple Music changed everything, where it's kind of hard to buy it. And even if you buy it, if you eventually download the Apple Music thing, then you like I lost a lot of my library, bro. I don't yeah. know if that's happened to you. It did happen to me. And I'm just like, do you know how to recover your library? Not really. No, it's gone. Like I, I got struggling. so many tracks that I'm, I'm trying to find it. I literally got Apple Music um, on the trial for a couple months just so I could watch verses. Uh huh. Canceled it, and I'm like, yo, I lost a lot of songs, and I can't get them back. I have no idea either. Especially like when you think of like De La Soul, who struggles with their label, Tommy Boy. That you can't get any of their their older shit. Yeah. And yeah, I, and I had it all because mm-hmm. I used to download the CD and put it onto the to the track list or whatever. Yeah. Or the library. Yeah, I, you're right. Man, I lost hell of shit. I have no idea how to get it back. I don't know how to get it back. Yeah. That's why know. stuff like Bandcamp. Where uh, you can kind of get it more directly from them, and Bandcamp. If you download the app, you can stream it for, straight from there too. So yeah. it's actually pretty convenient. I was mm-hmm. a little worried about like, do you have to get on your computer and take the files and you know figure out a way to play? I them. think the streaming is recent though, because it is recent. Because when I bought Hanif's, I couldn't stream it. And right. I was like, dang, but I did download it to the computer. I you know the old school, like you said, yeah, download yeah. it and then upload it to your phone. It's funny though, a lot of kids that are like under twenty five, they don't know how to do that. Right, a lot. I'm mean, not not all <laughs> of them, but a lot of them. They're yeah. like, burn the seat, download yeah. it. You can put songs on your phone. Yeah, like yes, you can. <laughs> and on Bandcamp, those are the ways, man. Like yeah. I, I see a lot of that money that um, that y'all pay for the album. You mm-hmm. know, like I get mm-hmm. a good chunk of that. I let's say if you pay twenty dollars, I'm getting like sixteen of it. That's dope. That's really good. When you buy it off of Apple and all that, I get like a fraction of a cent. Yeah, it's nothing. Yeah, that stream is not, nothing. Yeah, it's convenient. Yeah. It's on your phone, but it's not convenient for the artist. So. Word. Bro, I will never forget, man. You always show love, bro. You always had a good heart, man. I remember, I don't know how long ago this was, but like, um, yeah, reached out and put me on at a at a show. I think you were like maybe working with the radio station or something like that, or you just had a connect with the radio station. And we did a show at like a, a teen swim night at Grant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bro, oh, that yeah. was so, that was crazy, bro. It was like, it was a weird place to do a hip hop show. Weird. Weird. <laughs> but it's just dangerous, bro. All that electrical. <laughs> exactly. The the uh the ground is kind of slicking off. <laughs> but uh but I just I'll never forget that cuz I was like, man, Randy show love. Mm-hmm. Like Randy reached out and shared his, you know, his his plug, his connect, you know, helped put oh, me on when man. I was doing my rap thing, bro. So, I just want to let you know I appreciate you for that, bro. Absolutely, man. Yeah. That's that village, that village mindset. I've always had it, you yeah. know. I yeah. try to adopt that, you know. Yeah, bro. Gotta share resources, man. Definitely. But that shit was fun. I miss I miss that sometimes. <laughs> I mean, gotta bring that back at some point, man. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Um I I do wanna oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Who was your you were you rapping with Deshaun and Yeah, Deshaun Marshall and Speedy and, and, Speedy and Marcel and, and, and all of them. What was your group called? So we had a label standout records. That's right. Standout. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I was mainly producing and then um, That's you know, right. Deshaun, yes. Marcel and Juma, they had first infantry. That's um, right. But then I started rapping because I just love making music. Mm-hmm. Even though I know I never really wanted to rap, but I was like, I love making music so much. Mm-hmm. I might as well just do something. What was your rap, man? 
Breeze. That's right. Good yeah, day. it's all coming back to me. Now. Yes, sir. All right. Yes, yeah. sir. So is it E Breeze? Nah, it was just Breeze. It was that was my nickname in high school. That's e-breeze. High school. That's yeah, right. yeah. Oh yeah, man, I'm texting back. It's what a time. I know, man. What a time. <laughs> It'd be funny though. I'd be around certain people. And like they'll be calling me Breeze, and then I'll be around other people that they didn't know me back in the day. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, why are they calling you that? I was like, that's, that's back in the day, bro. That's, you know, you know, I used to be Diesel P. I remember I, that. People, 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 yeah, a lot of people be like Diesel, hey Diesel. Yeah, you know, and no, and people have no idea what that is. Yeah, especially for me, like, cause that that name is often also like related to like drug moving drugs and shit mm. too. So like, how why would you be a you know, Diesel? But yeah. Well, so, are, can we get into your drug history? Or no? just <laughs> I just smoke weed. <laughs> just playing, man. Really quickly before we transition, bro, I do want to um, hear your story of growing up in Northeast Portland, and and what it's like to grow up here. I share this all the time on the pod, but like what it's like to grow up here and still live here and see your neighborhood and your childhood memories borderline vanish with the way that the city is changing and the gentrification is happening. What is that experience like for you? Um, well, I'm, I'm new to being back in this neighborhood because I just bought this house and I've been in Southeast and kind of further towards Clackamas. But you're still in Portland. Though. Right. Still in Portland. I've, I've seen the changes. the numbers and all that. And right, right, right. I've mm-hmm. seen the changes. Mm-hmm. When it first started happening before I was, you know, learning about it so much, mm-hmm. It was just like, damn, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't really understand. I was just like, okay, well, everything just must change. That's just the nature of life. Right. You get older, things change. And, but once it started like impacting the, the cost of living, and then I started getting my studies in, and it's really like understanding how this process is going down, mm-hmm. it's actually pretty infuriating, man. Like, yeah. it really is. And like, to feel like a foreigner in your own city, yeah. to not know where the concentration of black people are. To know that the black people are getting pushed out away from the resources, like Urban League's up the street, right? You know, mm-hmm. black people don't really live around here no more, but that, yeah. that's what Urban League's for. SEI. SEI is right around the corner, exactly. Right there. Right. Um, losing the culture, because, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the developers, they're not asking, they're not investing in these communities when they're black. You know, they're obviously moving them out and then investing in them. Mm-hmm. The developers are building buildings that don't reflect any of the culture that used to live here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just you feel like a foreigner, man, and it's and it's infuriating when you know what it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you miss certain aspects, you know. Um, I've been blessed enough to be able to be successful in this climate, though, so yeah. I'm very thankful of that to be able to survive. But that's what it, I'm also motivated. Yeah, that's what why I've taken ownership. That's why I'm still doing this. That's why I'm going hard. That's why I'm still studying to learn more and more right. and find more ideas. To, to combat this gentrification process, just to combat white supremacist culture, period, in any yeah. whatever way I can, you know? Yeah. So, um, it's, it's it's a lot of emotions, man. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, but resonate. What I'm resonate. trying to do is channel it towards motivation and towards positively impacting, impacting and education, man. Yeah. So I know how to address this shit properly. Mm-hmm. That's good, bro. Yeah. I mean, that, that resonates with me so much. The, the phrase feeling like a foreigner in your own neighborhood I mean I think we all that are black grew up in Portland and we go back to our neighborhoods or grew up, go back to where we grew up it's not our neighborhood anymore Yeah, we don't see barely any familiar faces familiar stores familiar like 
everything is unfamiliar. Yeah. And then when you're walking down the street and you're fraternizing with certain businesses or whatever, you got you're walking in and people are looking at you like, what are you doing exactly. here? Like it's a it's a feeling that it's a, it's a it's infuriating and it's you feel hel- I feel helpless. Like I can't even do it. I I don't for one I don't have the time or the emotional capacity to try to explain to somebody why I'm in, why I'm here, and why I'm you know what I mean. Like this is my neighborhood, but right. then again, it's not my neighborhood. I know they stole it like they've stole many other things. <sighs> Crazy. Absolutely yeah, crazy. the the helplessness I felt strongly before taking ownership. Yeah, strongly, and it was because I was also doing work in the schools as an advocate and things like that, and I just wasn't feeling like I was making the impact that I really knew I had the capacity to do. Mm-hmm. Working with youth in that capacity, mm-hmm. so I definitely have more hope now, and seeing actually having a tangible thing where I'm seeing people support it. Uh, white people in particular, mm-hmm. it's like okay, maybe we can build, maybe we can build something here. Yeah, maybe we can do some true reparational work. Yeah, nah, bro. And in you know, ten, fifteen, twenty years, Portland Public Schools, we talk about Black History Month. If that's still gonna be a thing, you're gonna be a part of that, bro. Well, man, I hope. Man, I appreciate that. You're, I hope so. You're living Black History right now, bro. Like what? What this is? This is truly revolutionary. Um, like I said, it's coming from a good place. It's constructive, for lack of a better term. You're making an impact. It's evident. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's going to get to the point where you don't even have to keep telling people what it is. It's going to speak for itself. And it's just going to take a life of its own. It's already taking a life of its own, yeah. I, I could imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to try to definitely perpetuate that by making a model that I can, you know, take teach, to other cities. Uh, take to other cities. Yep. And really, I just hope that it's a it's a mindset thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. share your resources. It doesn't have to, you know, in all kinds of capacities, in all kinds of aspects, not just fixing black people's homes. We just got to be, I feel like the individualistic mindset that capitalism breeds, that white mm-hmm. supremacy breeds, mm-hmm. is just not sustainable for humans, man. Like, it's not. It's not. And the, well, the earth's going to be all right. <laughs> The earth, once we're, if, if we eradicate ourselves, the earth's going to be fine. But I'm just saying, it's not. The earth has been not, recovering right. because of COVID, unfortunately. I mean, unfortunately <laughs> right. for us, but fortunately for the earth, a lot less pollution. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so. Except for the, you know, these masks and shit. That, right that part. <laughs> that part, for sure. Um, so let's go ahead and transition, man, to the Fab Five. Five questions that I ask every person that comes on the pod. Um, question number one What artists. Or album made you fall in love with hip hop. Okay, you want me to shut these windows? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, Go ahead. I just feel here mo. People might dig the the aesthetic of like feeling like they're outside while they're listening. Or <laughs> yeah, I don't, I actually, I, yeah, it is kind of a, a nice calming sound to me. Like yeah, yeah. And stuff. Like, I'm, you know, yeah. I'm from the city. And all that. No doubt. Um, okay, the album. What artist or album made you fall in love with hip hop? Oh, shit, man. So I would say. Uh, Reflection Eternal, Train of Thought. Wow. Yeah. Why was I thinking of that album? Because if if you're talking about Talib Kweli in, in high, high school, yeah. which is what we were talking about, 2000, 2001. Yeah, 99, 2000. That album was amazing. amazing. Like that production yeah. still to this day sounds like extremely crispy. Yep. And high tech was on another level at that yeah, time. Yeah. And you know, a lot of stuff from that time does not hold up, man. 
man, yeah, not a, that was a nasty like era, boy. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. a nasty era, bro. Yeah. But that that album, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you just a couple. Um, Black Star, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Respiration, one of the greatest. Like Water for Chocolate, mm-hmm. Comet. Comet, yep. And a, a big one, um, which was a little later, but this definitely changed me. It was like little, Finding Little Brother. And uh, the listening and, and foreign exchange connected. Those, mm. are, those albums changed, you know, everything for me. I I feel bad. Like I never got into Little Brother. I don't know why. Ooh, got to. Give me. It's never too late. Yeah. Never too now late. Now we got streaming. Fonte, man. Yeah. Fonte's I like Fonte. Top yeah. five MCs to me. Oh, it's, like that. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, it, so he, clever, so unique with his delivery and everything. Mm-hmm. You know? And he's. He can sing pretty. He sings well. He, it's not my. It's not my stuff. But he he put really out well. a. He put out like an EP of just singing. Yeah, he can. He can sing. And I was like, wait, what? Are y'all sure this is Fonte? Yeah. I didn't. So, as you, you know, I know. I don't know Little Brother like that. So for me to hear that, I'm like, all right, this is weird. But that's not weird, is what no. you're saying. Oh no, no, no. he okay. can sing, man. He can really sing. I'm not knocking that. It's just mm. not my favorite part of what he does. Right. Like I just want to hear him rap. It's kind of like with Drake. Like some people yeah. like. You know, multi-level Drake, but some people just only like rapping Drake or singing Drake. Right. Yeah. I'm. I personally prefer rapping Drake. Yeah. Yeah. You me know? too. And I don't really listen to Drake, but I don't like his singing at all. <laughs> his singing gets a little annoying because <laughs> it sounds the same all yeah, the time. Yeah, it sounds the same. It's all nasally and stuff. <laughs> Which I'm a nasally dude too. I can't knock it. It's yeah. Light skinned folks. <laughs> oh man. Oh, um, question number two. <laughs> when you feel overwhelmed, how do you de-stress? Oh man, um, I I will probably like chill, just watch some TV, um, isolation a little bit, you know, or hang out with close friends for sure, um, or my girlfriend or my kid. My kids are a big one. Um, mm-hmm. Me and my kids have a few shows that we watch, and video games, man. Video games help me a lot. Yeah, and it's really difficult for me at this age to like find a game that really engages me where I'm like, I want to play this right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have one of those right now, and it may take me years to find that. But when I find a really good video game, man, that helps me a lot to escape reality. Call of Duty, what you on? Uh, I'm on Borderlands Three, man. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Playing Borderlands and, and Doom Eternal. Okay. Yeah, I like those first person shooters and stuff. Where, where? Just something to like escape, you know. I focus on. I'm sitting there like talking about different kind of guns and space stuff, and then like, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's nice to just because you know I can get on this type of conversation. You know, I can get on this deep conversation all the time and my brain is constantly thinking about that stuff too if yeah. I don't distract it yeah yeah no that's real man I I used to play FIFA incessantly oh, <laughs> like really? a couple years ago I used to I was in love with FIFA yeah. I just stopped playing but I can't um, get into sports games anymore yeah man. that, that was, I couldn't get into them I used to love Madden like Madden was my game mm-hmm. I went to college I majored in business and I minored in Madden bro like that's I was serious about Madden, bro. Yeah, I was yeah. trying to get on the Madden bus. I was playing online, and then Madden got kind of lame, and I was playing 2K, and then 2K got way too complicated. Yeah, and I was just like, man, this is sports games ain't what they used to be. Then, but I, then I started playing FIFA though. FIFA today is what Madden was back in like. Oh the yeah, FIFA. is it smooth? That's my smooth. biggest problem. It's smooth. It's like. I just bought 2K 2020, like, well, last year I did. Yeah. And the way they move, man, like, you'll run and they'll, like, take them, like, three, four steps to gather and go the other direction. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, FIFA is responsive and smooth, That's bro. That's what I need. You would be like, yo, I never thought I would fall in love with a soccer game, bro. You may not fall in love, but I'm just saying, like. Nah, it sounds fun, man. I, I enjoy it. 
I enjoyed it. The last, the last smooth NBA game was Live 06 with Dwayne Wade in the cover. Wow, you took it back, yeah, back. That that's the last one I got into. Man, that shit was fun. That's that's what's up, bro. Damn, Live, yeah, Live was <laughs> the joint. Yeah, never, I never thought Live or Mad would ever just fall out of favor, but you know, Man. time changes. Yeah, stuff happens. Um, if you could choose any one celebrity as your life coach, who would it be and why? Oh. Uh, what kind? Okay, only one? Okay. Probably Dave Chappelle. Mm. Dave Chappelle. I hang on to every word that dude says. <laughs> His stand-ups are like the Bible to me, man. Man. Like, I mean, he's, he's not always PC, which is mm. fine. Because mm. politics ain't always correct either. Right. And, um, you know, I just like where his head's at, man. I don't know. He's just, he's just on point. It's funny. I was literally watching Chappelle's show last night. Um... The reparations episode <laughs> that was hilarious, but you know, I mean, my wife was talking about how his delivery has changed and just how he's changed and how he's grown and evolved. And it's to watch a comedian evolve like he has because now Dave Chappelle is at that point where he's not even cracking jokes. I know he's literally telling stories. And breaking down the world, and he just happens to be wildly hilarious while mm-hmm. doing it. Mm-hmm. But it's it's amazing to see him do that and change the game, change his own game up. Yeah, and something that's always been important to me as a person is integrity and principle. Yeah, and he's definitely a man of that. When to do what he's done, what he walked away from. Well, he kind of explained he didn't walk away from that much, but mm-hmm. you know, to to really be, you know. Yeah, he's just the man of principle to walk away from the Dave Chappelle show like that. Yeah, I love. I just love that man. Yeah, I love that a lot. And the power move that he made to get his his rights back. I and love that man. Just genius. Bro. Yeah, and, and it was so insightful too, man. Yeah, because a lot of us really have a lot of us think we know what's going on in the in the entertainment world, but mm-hmm. if you're not really in it, like like a man like him, mm-hmm. a person like him, it's wild, man. Yeah, I couldn't imagine. I'm, I thought I wanted to blow up off music, and I'm right. really glad. <laughs> I don't think I'm built for that. Yeah, man, it's 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 a nasty game, yeah. and but he's intellectualized it the best. I know I really admire Cat Williams. Unfortunately, Cat Williams, you know, he has his drug issues or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but Cat would be saying some very similar things in his interviews, and he's trying to like tell people and warn people in certain ways that. If you're gonna get in this game, you gotta understand that this comes along with it, mm-hmm. you know. But um, just that that ownership mentality, taking ownership, mm-hmm. and um, just being able to get creative in the way that you do things. Like you have to get creative because mm-hmm. if you go to status quo, they're gonna control you, and you're not gonna enjoy the fruits of your labor. Nope, and blend right in. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you woke up tomorrow. And found out that you won the lottery for a hundred million dollars. How would your life change from that day forward? Oh man, significantly. Um, and what would I mean, you what, a, what would you do with the money in in, in your time? Well, I, you know, I pay off this house, and mm-hmm. I'll probably buy other property mm-hmm. and use. Um, I'll definitely buy other property. Definitely want to buy like temporary housing for some of the houses that we fix up. Okay, because we've had a couple situations where, you know. 
the houses were so bad they're not inhabitable you know like yeah like they need to get out of there but, mm-hmm. we, but there was nothing especially during covid there was nowhere to put them there's not Man, a lot of temporary yeah, housing in the sure city. yeah so i would definitely want to build some temporary housing i definitely want to build community centers that teach life skills like true life skills for sure um but also have the recreational stuff to keep you know keep kids off the streets mm-hmm. um and invest in crypto man okay okay <laughs> invest in crypto speaking Stop. of that bro i tried to buy coinbase today and the the market was crazy like it was it wouldn't let me make a market order hmm. i had to do like a limit order so i had to set like a certain price point i don't know if it went through or not but tell me about your your crypto you know wallet uh, if you want to disclose i'm still i'm still new to it i got okay. only got a few a few thousand in invested right now Mm -hmm. but i've been seeing i've been making money man i mean yeah i made about you know probably about 500 dollars in the last couple days yeah it's going crazy right now yeah yeah um i have a my dj is really big into it so i just kind of talk to him a lot and get information from him i've had a couple people reach out to me um who are also really big into the game oh i got it i got that coinbase cool Cool. oh good yeah get on it yep get some cardona uh, get some Ethereum mm-hmm. and always get always get uh, uh, what's the what's the main stuff what's the stuff we all know about the Bitcoin coins. Bitcoin yeah yeah okay, for Bitcoin. sure yeah um, see I don't have I have like a little bit of Litecoin that I bought at the the first crypto craze back in like 2016 2017 uh-huh. so I don't think Litecoin I don't even think I broke even with that really? <laughs> I think I'm still down on my Litecoin yeah yeah it's but, hard yeah uh, but that, you know, as long as you're only putting like disposable income in, for there, sure, like, I can lose this money and I'll be all right. Oh yeah, but, but yeah. I don't think that's gonna happen. I don't see that happening. Nah, bro. Crypto. But I, I don't have enough knowledge to speak too deeply on it right now. I'm just, you know, I'm just a risk taker, man. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people are saying this is this is where it's gonna be. This is where the future's heading. I don't want to get left out. Yeah, that's real. You know, that's real, bro. Yeah, hey, that's why I hopped on the the Coinbase IPO because. That's why I got my Litecoin through. And I know Coinbase been making those transactions since the beginning. Mm-hmm. So I was like, if they're like, I feel like they're the Tesla of crypto exchange. Like, they're it. They're, they're the, the big one. one. There's yeah. other ones that people like Voyager and mm-hmm. that people say are good that you can get access to other or more rare coins or uh, crypto. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I'm, I, I don't. I can't give that guidance, bro. Yeah, no, I feel you. I feel. But you. I will say, get you a wallet, get you like a Nexo wallet or something like that. That's the next step. So you step. can put your currency in this wallet that will build interest, mm. and also it will still be impacted by the, you know, for sure, by the increases and all that stuff. Yeah, I definitely need to get on that wallet because I I've heard about it. I still don't fully understand what that means, but I know that I need to do it if I have you, any type. It's of just extra. Extra money, you know, it's just you get, you know, you get compound interest. And okay. Maybe not compound, but you get like 6% interest on what you got in there. So that'll compound over time. Yeah. Sure. I mean, it's better than the thing about it is keeping your money in a traditional bank. You're not really making anything. They don't really, you don't get interest like Mm-mm. you used to. And that's right. part of the draining the pool thing I was talking mm. about. That's another way that they got over and it hurts everybody. But yeah. it's because black people and non-white people can start investing and doing things like that and, and so yeah so if it's sitting in a savings account it ain't doing shit for you anyways right it's just sitting there yep that's you know right yep. so might as well do something with it that's what's up yeah definitely yeah get on that wallet action um question number five last question what message do you want communicated at your eulogy 
Ooh, damn. I know. That's a deep one, bro. It's heavy. You gotta send something like that ahead of time. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the big thing is like that I genuinely cared, man. You yeah. Know, I really cared about the community and I did my best. Man. I mean, that's all I want people to know. Yeah. I really like set out to, to show that I care about the community and wanted to inspire other people to, to also care. Mm-hmm. And that um, I believe in I believe in people, man. You know? Yeah. I believe in us, and I think we can really do something if we work together. You know, so. No doubt. Got to change our mindset, though. For sure. No, I mean, that's, that's beautiful. I believe that everything that you, that you just said and everything that you're doing will lead to people remembering you and your, and your legacy and, and your sons. Like, it's going to impact them. They're going to live out all the values that you showed them in real time. Like you said, they've, they've seen you go from starting an organization to help people to people doing the exact same thing for you in a way that you never would have expected. Mm-hmm. And so that alone is going to change the lives and the tra- trajectory of your sons regardless. No matter where they're at, they're going to remember that moment and how the universe works for real. And they're going to, yeah, that's the big one. And understand that it's going to take patience because, you know, it took 15 years of doing this work mm. before something that's really, pay- I mean, the journey's been beautiful. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I, you can't take away from the journey. I appreciate every win that I've gotten. Even the L's. I took a lot of L's. You yeah. learn a lot from the L's. Oh, yeah. You know, wouldn't be who I am without them. But mm-hmm. uh, to really see like life goals uh, you know, manifest. Yep. And after, you know, I was patient. I was, re- I was resilient, persistent. I didn't let things waver. Mm-hmm. And I, I stuck to what I believed in. And it really paid off. So yeah. I think that is going to be huge for my kids. No doubt. That they just got to be patient. That's dope, man. But the best part is they're going to have an even stronger foundation than I had. And that's what it's all about. Because this is going to be theirs, you know what I'm saying? Yep. This is going to be their house. So yep. They won't have to worry about, you know, like me, I've lived in 11 different places. Mm. Apartments, mm. basements, you know, garages. Mm-hmm. And they've been along for that whole ride. Yeah. Know? They're not going to have to deal with that shit. That's awesome, man. That's beautiful. Yeah. I literally started an investment fund with my with my family, my immediate family. So me and my parents and my sisters, and we're putting in money, you know, every month. Um, and the goal is, I started last year in 2020, so laid out a 120 year plan so that we we buy with this investment fund, we buy a property every um, first, like every seven years for you know at least like 20, 21 years, or whatever, and then. The investments will grow so much so and compound in a way that we can start buying properties every five years. But the main thing was I want my kids to not have to worry about when you get out of high school, get out of college, you have to work like like how we what will happen to us. We have to work a job that we necessarily don't want to work just because we have to survive because we got to have a roof over our head. And as you know, as we all know, like housing is the number one expense for all adults. Yeah. But like this, if the housing is taken care of, then you can actually take the time to like lean into your own authenticity, what you want to do, develop your skills, develop who you are and not have to work for someone that is abusive work and do something that you hate doing, which in turn will lead you to do other things to cope with you having to go do something that you hate doing for 40 hours. a week. Like there's so many problems so many things, that stem from not having adequate housing and so i'm like right. we need to have make sure that our kids grandkids great grandkids have that basic thing that housing taken care of and that's what we need to tell the city about our homeless problem 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like when we talk about cleaning up, it's not about just cleaning up garbage. I mean, that's their that's some of that is their valuables, yeah. right? Yeah. But they don't have a place to put it. And how are they supposed to get jobs? And how are they if they if they are addicts, how are they going to get clean if they don't have a shelter? You know, we got to think about you know Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs. Yeah. You know, if you don't have a place to stay, first shelter, warmth, food, water, you're not going to be able to even. Think about the other stuff. Mm-mm. And you probably are going to get into drugs because you're going to probably want to escape reality. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yep. I, I've never, I mean, I, I've had a drinking problem before when mm-hmm. times are really hard, mm-hmm. especially when I developed my anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. So I get it. You know, I get the concept. Yeah. Reality can be real tough. Man. Real tough. But yeah. Yeah, man. That's great how you're doing that. And that's that group, that group economics, man. Well, that's, we got to live we, it. We got to live it. We got it. We have some to- cultures do it. Y'all, yep. you know, instinctively, Asian communities, mm-hmm. they got it down, man. Got it, bro. We should be doing that. Somehow, where down the line, we we picked up the white people mindset of individuality. We picked up the mindset, and we've also every time that we've achieved that which you and I are talking about, it was violently taken. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it was violently taken. Whether yeah. they're bombing communities, whether they're going there and lynching people, and the government is stepping back and just letting Black Wall Street, man. Black Wall Street, or you know Wilmington, North Carolina, yeah. or you know places in Virginia, like it's happening all over the country. Mm-hmm. You know, goddamn red red summer of nineteen nineteen, where they just went and just dragging people out their house. You yeah. know, it's just. Thousands of people in Chicago, uh, Arkansas, like it was happening all over the country. Yeah. And so anytime we've achieved some type of level of success, it gets taken. I know. And that, I always tell people like that's the one good thing about segregation was that we were we had our own communities. We had our own hospitals. We had our own mm-hmm. all this stuff. And mm-hmm. you're right. Even when they were excluding us and we were still excelling, mm-hmm. they would take it away. Take if it we away. were competing at all. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So it's so, a it's an uphill battle, but. You know, we have we got the internet, we got yeah. uh, information, and we're we're able to fight a little bit more efficiently now. Absolutely, and I, like without that, it would be no taking ownership, PDX. Right? Exactly. I mean, that, essentially, that's also what this is: group e- economics. Yeah, yeah. You know, helping, we're just helping out a community that's been marginalized, man. No doubt, man. As we wrap up, bro, tell the folks how they can um, contact you, all your, your socials, all of that good stuff, man. Uh, yeah, so for taking ownership, go to takingownershippdx.org. You can go there. You could donate there. It's going to be through my fiscal sponsor because we're an LLC with a fiscal sponsor mm-hmm. that acts as our 501c3. So you can get tax write-offs for what you donate. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you donate, you will see it will say All Ages Music Portland or PDX. Uh, don't be alarmed. We are <laughs> going to get that money. They get a cut, which I love because it's a black-owned nonprofit. That provides musical opportunities for young adults. That's beautiful. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. So I'm all about it. Um, you can also, we're not really encouraging people to volunteer right now because we have so many people signed up to volunteer. Mm-hmm. And what we really need is people who are licensed, bonded, insured to volunteer um, so we can actually get insured work and, and quality work done. Sure. Otherwise, it's counterproductive to the mission. For sure. But um, so. You know, if, you know, you can reach out to me there. My email's there. Um, you can also donate resources there too. Awesome. Um, for my new album, go to Bandcamp. You can go to Randall Wyatt, Randall with one L, uh, Wyatt uh, dot Get the album there. Um, 
the profits are gonna go to my to taking ownership. So that's another way that you can support and also get a housing that you potentially might not. Yeah. Um, other socials is just you know Randall White on Facebook, Randall White Music on Instagram, and SpeakerMinds.com. That's my band, Speaker Minds. And uh, yeah, that's, that's the show. I mean, everything else should, should be able to find it. It's all connected. No doubt, no doubt. Taking ownership, PDX, man, taking over mm-hmm. for the 2020 to 2021. <laughs> yes, sir. No doubt, man. No doubt. Well, appreciate y'all for tapping in and listening. Uh, once again, this is the Socks and Sandals podcast where society, culture, history, and religion collide, and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. Holla at y'all next time. Grace and peace.